right, good evening. Hallelujah. We're here again. So, you know, uh, 10 days ago we did the Feast of Trumpets and we blew the shofars and we made a lot of noise and praise God, amen? It was awesome. So now tonight, um, I wanna share with you a little bit and, and it really prepares the way for us to have communion. Um, but I wanna, you know, I wanna say this and uh, all those who are listening and watching, um, we are right now living in the days, as it were, in the days of Noah. How many of you are feeling that? <laughs> Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. <laughs> yeah. But, so what does that mean, Noah? Woohoo! For those who love the animal kingdom, Noah's time is a great time. But I also think about Noah, because we are in that time, and um, I wanna say to you, well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray that the Holy Spirit, uh, who is with us, and Lord, we are more and more within your house and within your church, uh, especially the Gentiles among your church bride, are humbling ourselves and coming back to our roots. And we are coming to realize that uh, rather than be prejudiced against our Jewish family, that we are to honor them, to respect them, to love them, to bless them, to thank God for them, uh, and Lord, to humble ourselves and and realize you have given certain things to them. They're, they're the root uh, from, from which we have come. They are the original branch. Uh, we have been attached to, in, and through them. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to us for such a time as this in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So I also want to say about, so about Noah, uh, well, so it's a time of judgment. So I want to just say we are living in the days of the judgment of God. This world, and it's not just, you know, is it America, is it the West or the East or the North or the South? The world. In the days of Noah, the judgment of God came to the whole world. And right now, the judgment of God is, is literally visiting every nation, every language, every kindred, and every tribe. That should be very sobering. Uh, and it also uh, means that the spirit of Antichrist is at work in our world right now. How many of you are aware of that? See it, hear it, feel it, it's happening. And um, now, so part of that is, you know, the days of Noah, it's about a remnant. Uh, God was, you know, God is a God of grace and a God of mercy, and he put this sign, which is the rainbow in the heavens, which was a natural reflection. His glory coming through that moisture created the first rainbow, and that was a sign of God's promise, that he would never destroy the world in such a way again, and that, thank God, the Noahic uh, rainbow covenant tells us that God is a covenant or promise-keeping God. God keeps his promises, amen? 
He keeps his promises. And the heart of God is that he wants to save and that he wants to spare and that he's very merciful. And um, so, but it was a remnant. Uh, in that day, there were eight. How many of you are hoping these nowadays will be more than eight? Yes. But there were only eight. And the other part of it was uh, for Noah and those who were, you know, so what are you supposed to do? Uh, Noah had a, you know, he had a life that he had to live. And from the time God told him, hey, this is what's going to happen. The judgment is coming. And so Noah was given a project, and that was to build the ark. And that means that Noah had to build an ark of salvation literally for his family. May I say that you and I are in those days. These are the days to prepare for each home. Your home is an ark. Your home is a church. And thank God that we're able to meet here like this. But should the day come that we can no longer meet like this, then you will continue to meet as the early church did in the midst of much persecution. Literally, the church was from house to house. Can I hear an amen on that? So hear the voice of the Lord and prepare for what is coming. So let me just end with this as the introduction and then we'll dive into the study tonight. But um, I did a, you know, I'm doing this series called Step Into the Story. The one that I just did, I want you to watch it. If you haven't watched it, go on, you, you know, look up for the app, Maranatha Chapel, and it's free. Um, and then Step Into the Story. And the last one I did was on the Red Heifer. So the Red Heifer is a very important story and right now, there is a reconstituted Sanhedrin, if you didn't know that, a modern Jewish Orthodox Sanhedrin. They need a red heifer and they have to find a red heifer that doesn't have any spots on it. And then they have to sacrifice it. Actually, they, they're asking the Gentiles to help sacrifice it on the Mount of Olives. And then they take the ashes from the red heifer and then they can begin sacrifices on Temple Mount. And let me tell you that there are not a few Jewish people who believe that the Messiah is coming literally in the next couple of years. So we Christians say, yeah, we feel like he's coming too. <laughs> but surprise, he's been here once already, right? But they feel that and they have been traveling to uh, Texas and I just got word literally today uh, as I'm preparing for this message on Yom Kippur that there are Orthodox Jews flying from Israel to Texas again because they think they have found the red heifer without spot or blemish. So we are living in amazing times. Okay, if you have a Bible, it is the Day of Atonement. Uh, turn with me to Leviticus. You know we're going to have fun when we start in Leviticus, right? But Leviticus chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And this is the foundation, you know, for Leviticus is the foundation for all the sacrifices, which means it's the foundation for our entire salvation. So in Leviticus 16, verse 6, it says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron, the high priest, shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. I don't know if you knew that our phrase scapegoat literally comes from the Bible, 
and from this very day of atonement. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering there at the temple. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. So I'll explain what that is in just a moment, but let's begin by saying this. The Day of Atonement today is the holiest day of the year, and it provides a prophetic insight regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that as the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled by the rapture of the church, this day, the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur, will be fulfilled by the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Hebrew, it is written in the plural. It is Yom Kippurim. Now, when I say Purim, that should remind you of the Purim. So literally, it is a Purim, a day like Purim, which means it's a day of deliverance. It's a day of salvation. It's a day of the forgiveness of your sins and reconciliation to God. Can I hear an amen on that? It's a glorious day. It is also the day that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross as the greatest Purim of all time, since through him we are eternally delivered from the hands of our enemies. Now, it was the only day all year, so you have the, you know, at that time, tabernacle, you've got, so the, the people are outside, then inside could be the priests, and then there was inside of that a holy place where only the priests and the furniture were there. And inside of that, at the deepest place, was the Holy of Holies. All year long, nobody was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies except one man, the high priest. And that one man, the high priest, could only go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the, the you know, cherubim that are uh, made of you know, wood covered with gold and the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the high priest was only allowed to go in one day a year. And think about this. So you have the holiest man on the holiest day going into the holiest place on earth, and it is the only time and only the high priest that could actually say the name of God. Isn't that amazing? One day a year. And that's why in our Bibles, it doesn't give the name of God. In fact, we're not exactly sure how to pronounce it because they wouldn't put in uh, the, the vowels. They just gave the consonants, yod, hey, vav, hey. So in our Bibles, whenever you see the uh, word Lord, capitalized, L-O-R-D, capitals, what that really is, is in Hebrew, yod, hey, vav, hey, which with the vowels is the holy name of God. Only, so think about it, one day a year, the holy, holiest day of the year, the high priest could go in there and he could call the name of God that one day. So there was, the idea is that they're making an atonement for sins on that day. The life for life principle is the foundation of the sacrificial system and it marked the great day of intercession made by the high priest on Israel's behalf. Now this is Old Testament, right? So they believed that on that day, the whole nation's sins would be forgiven on that one day. And so the high priest had to do everything perfectly as he went into the presence of God. If he did anything imperfectly, the glory of God would break out, he would die, 
and they would have to remove him. <laughs> so how many, how many of you, and then you're not sure you're gonna be forgiven. And by the way, because it was animal sacrifices, your forgiveness was only good for one year. <laughs> so next year, you start getting worried again. Are we gonna make it through? And how many know that the, everybody was praying for the high priest? Oh God, have mercy on this guy. Let him not drop dead. Let us all be forgiven. Now, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. If we can put that up on the screen, I'm not sure if they can. Okay, so let's read this scripture. This is very, very important, muy importante uh, verse that you need to know. Okay, let's read it out loud. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So this is where... Uh, literally, in the gospel and the good news, we cannot be forgiven of our sins unless our sins are paid for with life. But, but God doesn't want us to perish in our sins, so God mercifully allowed a substitute or an animal sacrifice. But the animal had to die, and the animal's blood had to be shed. And then uh, Kippur, or Kippurim, uh, literally, the root word means not to take away, but it means to cover. So imagine this. It's not like the sins were really paid for, but they were substituted and they were covered. It's like when you buy something and you use a credit card. It's not actually, okay, so you go in, you give them your credit card, okay, you got your number, whatever. So what you purchased is covered by your credit card. But then the time comes, they send you a bill, you actually have to pay the credit card. How many hear what I'm saying? So when the payment is made, then it becomes real. Well, they kept, they kept a credit card going from Abraham until the day of Jesus. They hadn't paid their credit card in 2,000 years. But when, <laughs> how many know that's, that does not sound good? And every year they're going, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? But then when Jesus came, that's why so beautiful, so powerful in the Gospel of John, when uh, John the Baptist points at Yeshua of Nazareth, and he's, he's pointing at him, because there's hundreds and hundreds of people. The nation of Israel left Jerusalem because they said, you know what, the people in the temple and the people in Jerusalem and all the religious people, the Pharisees, they're hypocrites. But that John guy out in the desert, that man is of God. There is fire coming out of that guy. And they felt the authenticity of it, not playing games, not religious. So instead of going uh, to Jerusalem, they went out to the wilderness and they brought their little lawn chairs or whatever and they said, we want to listen to John. And John said, I'm telling you, the Messiah we've waited for since the days of Abraham is here. He has come. And you better repent and get ready. The long-awaited Messiah is here. So everybody's talking and, and what turned into a movement out in the wilderness and then they said, well, what can we do? And he says, repent, so get baptized. In Hebrew, that's like doing a mikvah. You go down in the water, and it's, it's a picture of washing, getting your heart washed and cleansed of greed and sin, and getting your heart ready to believe in it. And then one day, 
John points in the midst of the crowd, and he points at one man. There's Yeshua, who looks at John, smiling at him. And John says before everybody, behold the Lamb of God that will take away, not cover, but take away the sins of the whole world. Woo! Follow him. So, now, it was at this time on Yom Kippur that everybody on this day, according to Jewish tradition, was that literally, actually on the Feast of Trumpets, which was 10 days ago, that's when your name, everybody's name in Israel is written in one of two books. Either it's written in the book of life or it's written in the book of death. Now, here's what they meant, because remember, they're doing it every year. They're covering their sins for a year, living one year to the next. And what it means is, if you'd been messing around, compromising, uh, hypocritical, living after your flesh or the world or following the devil or worshiping idols or whatever, your name on, on the Feast of Trumpets would be written in the book of death, meaning someday during this coming year, you will die. That God will say, you're done, your time's up, you're out. Or your name get, gets written in the book of life. So. They're, everybody's worried, where, where is, my, is my name going to be? So here's what they said. They said, okay, that's what will be written, but there's many people that are kind of in the balance. So if you're not ready, when they blow the trumpet, uh, you get 10 extra days of grace. 10 more days from the Feast of Trumpets to Yom Kippur. So those are called the 10 days of awe. That's where everybody went into overdrive, really getting serious about repenting of everything they've ever done. Because when Yom Kippur comes, it's permanent and it is final. Now, we believe that Jesus Christ in dying on the cross for our sins, there is still a book and it's called the book of life. And I'm telling you, no one will be with God. No one will be in heaven. No one will be with their saved family. No one will see the glories of the kingdom unless your name is written in a very real, it's not a metaphor, it's a real book called the book of life. And the only way you can get your name written in the Lamb's book of life is through the Lamb, <laughs> by believing and trusting in the Lamb. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus and who he is, he didn't just cover over our sins, he paid for our sins, he removed our sins, he erased our guilt, so your name, written as it were in the blood of the Lamb, remains permanently, not for a year, but forever and ever and ever and ever. Woo, hallelujah. Now, look with me in, um, let's go to Exodus. Chapter 32, beginning in verse 30. It says, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. You remember when he went up the mountain and then he came down and had the Ten Commandments and they're worshiping what? A golden, dumb calf. And Moses got mad. He threw the Ten Commandments down. They're broken. Symbolically, you guys broke everything. And then he had to go back up the mountain. So now it came to pass on the first day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So the people are like, uh-oh, 
God showed up, Moses came down the mountain, we're history. And they didn't know, so Moses went up for 40 days, came down, broke the Ten Commandments, and he goes, well, I don't know what God's gonna do with y'all, but I'm gonna go back up the mountain, and you better pray and repent. So he went back up on the mountain for a second 40 days. He says, I will see if I can make, you know, if we can make, perhaps the Lord will atone for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, all these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. And then your Bible should have a little dash there. Do you see that? Does it have a little dash there? Yes? Do you know what that means? It means that at this point, Moses could not pray anymore. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and then he stopped. We don't know for how long. Could have been an afternoon. It could have been a night. Could have been 24 hours. But he just waited. He didn't know what to say. But then he says this, but if not, if you will not forgive them, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. I believe that there we find out why God chose Moses. I mean, how many of you love your family? You love your mom, you love your dad, you love your spouse, you love your kids. How many of you love them so much that, okay, I I would go spend eternity without God if you could be forgiven and saved? Hmm. Moses is now saying, I'm willing to be separated from you, God, for eternity if you will forgive the people of Israel. Now, there's only one person, you know, in the Old Testament that said something like that, and that guy was Moses. So with all his foibles, and yes, he murdered a man when he was young. I mean, he was a human being. He was, he was not perfect, but there was something about him above all the people in the history of Israel that God said, that's the man I will talk to. That's the only man I will speak face to face. I mean, Moses experienced the glory of God like nobody else in the entire Old Testament. The way that God, and I believe it's because of his heart and his willingness. But then God says, but no, you you can't take their place. So God refused him. There is, however, one man in the New Testament that also said he was willing if his brethren, the Jewish people, he said, you know, let me be lost for eternity if my people could be saved. And who is that? The Apostle Paul. So we have Moses in the Old Testament, we have Paul in the New Testament, but there's really only one man in all of human history who didn't just say he was willing, but who actually did step into our place, and that's Jesus. Hallelujah. But because he was holy and pure, death couldn't hold on to him, the devil couldn't hold on to him, and he rose from the dead on the third day. And he's the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. Okay, look at me in Exodus chapter 34. I'm going fast, but I'm kind of just giving you the big picture here. And now I want to tie in why I believe that the day of atonement will be fulfilled by the second coming. Here's the picture that comes together. So Moses is up on the mountain a second time. He's getting the second Ten Commandments to bring them down and to tell the people he has forgiven you and there is atonement for your sins. So Exodus 34, uh, beginning in verse four, it says, and so he cut two tables of stone like the first ones and then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. That's interesting. God manifesting himself and stood with Moses 
in the midst of a cloud. It wasn't a real cloud. It was the glory of God. And then proclaimed the name of the Lord. See, capital L-O-R-D. So that means that's the name of God. yod Hey vav Hey. Yahweh is maybe the closest that we believe it is. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So the Lord is going before Moses and proclaiming. The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. All of those, those are the attributes of God, the glorious attributes of God. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped the Lord. God had forgiven the people. Now look with me in verse 10. It says in verse 10, and he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels. Now listen to this. Before these people, Moses, your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God said, I'm gonna do something with this one generation, this one group of Jewish people from Pharaoh, from Egypt, slavery, through the wilderness, uh, dropping bread from heaven, manna from heaven, water coming out of a rock, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years, and then brought them into the promised land. And in the promised land, the 13 or the 12 disciples formed the nation of Israel, prepared the way for David, through whom the Messiah would come and the Savior of the world. God said, there will be no one else that I will do this with as I do it with you. And then go with me in verses 29 and 30. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, okay, so this is at the end of 80 days, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And then skip down to verse 35, the last verse. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So here's, here's this beautiful thing that was happening is God is is revealing his glory and he's proclaiming his name. I'm loving and gracious and forgiving. And, all, and Moses' face begins to shine and reflect, not the light of natural light like the sun, but it begins to literally reflect the Shekinah glory of God. And then when Moses woke out and talked to him, he didn't know it. So he's out talking to him, his face is shining like a sun. And people are like, ah! You're scaring us. What happened to him? Your face is on fire. He goes, I feel great. <laughs> so, but as he would talk to them and linger, they would look and they would say, something's different. What's going on? It's fading a little. Oh, it's fading. And Moses here, it's fading. Hey, Moses, fade. Hey, I'm going to go talk to the Lord again. And so we would go back in. <laughs> get all shined up. It's like some of you going in for the tan. You get it, you know, and it's 
fades and you go back for more. So that's what Moses was doing. Now, interestingly, in the New Testament, it says that um, that was a, a picture of the old covenant of the law. God's love, God made atonement, he covered their sin, he forgave them, he shined upon them, and part of the Hebrew meaning of his face shining upon them is God smiling. Did you know that your face can reflect the face of your Father in heaven shining when you smile? One of the most powerful ways that you can reflect the glory of God because we're made in the image of God is that your face would shine with a smile. And here's the beauty. It's not dependent upon what is happening outside, but it is a response to the presence of the Spirit of God on the inside that you are letting shine through you. And I, let me tell you this, in the world today, there are many people walking around with storm clouds on their face. They are anything but sunny, shiny, or happy. They're moody, cranky, and irritable. <laughs> so you can stand out and be a light for him like, hey, smiling, shining, and letting his glory, because it's not dependent upon what's happening outside. It flows, Jesus said, like a river from the inside as you abide in him and commune with him from your spirit, and you let Jesus shine through. And even walking through the world this week smiling will open doors for you supernaturally to be able to talk to people. They will say, man, she's got something I ain't got. I'm going to listen to them, talk to them, engage them. And then you get to show, you know, share with, well, here's why I am so filled with hope and with happiness. Have you heard of a man named Jesus, the Savior of the world? Amen? But that fading glory became a picture of the old covenant, the covenant of the law. God could forgive, God could make atonement, he could cover, but they had to do it again the next year, and it was fading. But the Apostle Paul, writing in the New Testament, and plus, under the old covenant, if you were anybody other than one man, the high priest, out of three million people, you're never going to go into the presence of God. Only one man, and that man only one day. And he only could say the real name of God one time on the one day. Now, in the new covenant, here's what the Bible says. You and I, who now through Jesus, we have a new covenant, we have a better covenant. Jesus has gone in and literally through his body being broken, that's like that veil that kept everybody on the outside, except one day a year. But when Jesus' body was broken and when he was crucified, in just a moment we're gonna have communion and celebrate the veil of his flesh being torn and it is literally through his broken body and his shed blood that we're able to go with Jesus who rose from the dead and with him to where the Father is there before the seat of mercy. We get to go into the holy of holies in heaven and when we go there, we don't go one day, we live there, we abide there as long as you want. It says come boldly, there's no veil for us anymore. And rather than the glory that is shining on you fading, the Bible says every child of God 
is actually growing in glory, going from glory to greater glory to greater glory, being transformed and conformed into the, until we're, we're, we're gonna get so burned with his glory that eventually we're gonna just, we're gonna be just like Jesus. We'll be transformed into his image. That is the new covenant. That's what God has done for us. So now, let me leave with this thought then. So here's Moses, with his, who came down the mountain and his face was shining. That's the picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus comes, every eye shall see him, and I love this. I want you to think of the face of Jesus, because he's going to appear, and the Bible says every eye, every eye, seven billion eyes, pairs of eyes, will see him. And he is so bright that the sun will disappear. If you're in the half of the world, it's noon, you can't see the sun anymore. A light seven times, according to the prophet Isaiah, symbolically, seven times brighter than the sun. We will be blinded. We're all gonna have a Paul, the Apostle Paul, Damascus Road experience. And we're gonna see him, and then they shall see him the Jewish people, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall weep for him and mourn for him as one mourns for his only begotten. They will be the first to recognize him. He's gonna look very Jewish. <laughs> He's still Jewish. He didn't become a Jew for 33 years, if you know what I mean. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. In order that he might become the king of the Jews and the Gentiles, and he chose the Jewish people, and they're still the chosen people, but he did that to provoke jealousy so he could choose the Gentiles. So we're, we're not second-class citizens. We're included, but they're the firstborn, and then we get to be second, third, whatever. So there's no you know, jealousy, but we love them, we bless them, we honor them, and we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, we're gonna, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, We'll ask the worship team to come out, and hopefully you have communion. Um, if, you, if anybody didn't get it when you came in, the little communion that they pass out, um, we're going to have the, the, some ushers walk down and just lift your hand up when you see them walk by and say, I need, I'd like communion. But before we do that, um, I want to just say, I want you to go right now, and I want you to just <laughs> enter in now. Enter the Holy of Holies. I am not joking, uh, and I'm not using it as a metaphor, I am telling you as a brand new child of God, let alone if you've walked with him for a long time. You don't know who you are. We need to realize who we are. We are the sons and the daughters of the living God. You have access to what in the past was only allowed by one man one day a year. You have access to the throne of God every day of your life, every moment. You think about it and you're there and you're in the, with the, you know, the mercy seat, the throne of Almighty God. And if we knew where we were in Christ, we would be much more humble, we would be much more tender, we would be much more, we would be filled with continuous praise. Because the truth is, you are not just here physically on the earth. Spiritually speaking, your spirit is in 
Christ Jesus seated in heavenly places before the throne of Almighty God. You are surrounded by angels. You are surrounded by worship and praise. And when you can just let off the earthly ears of hearing the drone of what's around us here, you can enter into heaven anytime you want, 24-7. You have access because of who you are and who you come through. The Father says, look, nobody comes to me. No one will know me or see me unless they come through my son. But if you know me, if you know my son, he goes, You're gonna, you get all the way to me. In fact, you will know me, and you will be my child, and I will love you and bless you for all of eternity. And the Father adores you. And quite honestly, the Savior loves and adores you. They, they, they love you so much. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, and he's trying to constantly get your mind out of the mud of your earthly surroundings into your heavenly reality. And when we begin to abide there, all of a sudden the supernatural can begin to flow through our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, our feelings, our attitudes. The spirit can manifest in your flesh for healing. It manifests in literally driving demons nuts and out and flying away from you like bats. They cannot stand when a child of God begins to praise and to worship and the glory of the Lord, an anointing comes upon them. So we have an open communion. If uh, you're at home, you know, hopefully you've got some elements together uh, and, we, and we're open to anybody who knows the Lord. The only thing is if you don't know, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and there are many in this world who do not, but there's a reason why, however, you're listening to this message and you're, maybe you went you know, to church when you were little, you got baptized or you went to Sunday school or something, but you've been away and you need to come back and you want to recommit your life. Or maybe you were raised with nothing, parents didn't believe in anything, gave me no spiritual background, but through a friend, through something, look, nothing is coincidence. If you are hearing this message, then Jesus is using circumstances to bring you the truth. And this is what he said. I'm going to quote him. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in. How do you open the door? The Bible says by asking. That's called prayer. So I'm going to lead you, just help you, with a simple childlike prayer of asking Jesus to come in your heart, forgive you of all your sins, fill you with his Holy Spirit, and give you the gift of eternal life. You will be born again. And if you are, if you pray that prayer sincerely, tonight could be your first believer's communion. So I'm going to have everybody that knows the Lord, you can pray it out loud with me. It's, we don't believe you get saved again, but it's a way of remembering, honoring uh, just the preciousness, the sweetness, the joy of our salvation. And then anybody recommitting or for the first time, if you're willing, pray out loud after me after this manner. Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart 
And I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. I, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name.